Welcome, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Council of Institutional Investors Voice of Corporate Governance, the number one ranked corporate governance podcast by Feedspot. I'm Jeff Mahoney, General Counsel of the Council of Institutional Investors. I'm here today with Carla M. Zems, the Ernst & Young Professor, and Daniel D. Wagerin, the David J. Lazar Professor of Business, both at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Professor Zems and Wangerin are two of the co-authors of a recent research paper entitled, Why Are Key Audit Matter Disclosures Incrementally Informative Compared to Critical Audit Matter Disclosures? Welcome, professors. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you. We appreciate uh, your interest in the topic, Jeff, and, uh, and your guests as well. Pleasure to be here and looking forward to your questions. So, professors, your research paper examines the differing reporting standards that result in key audit matter and critical audit matter disclosures. So let's begin by providing some background and an overview for our listeners on what are key audit matter and critical audit matter disclosures and what motivated you to study their differences. Thanks, Jeff. So these are two terms that people oftentimes get confused and the reason, <clears throat> in addition to the similar wording, is they also sound the same. If you abbreviate them, they both sound like CAM. So sometimes people call the key audit matters, they call those KCAMs, and they call critical audit matters CCAMs. So key audit matters uh, are set internationally uh, by the IAASB, and critical audit matter disclosures came a few years later uh, with the PCAOB rules. So, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, for your listeners, um, the AICPA in the U.S. and the IAASB have committed to convergence of their standards, whereas the PCAOB has made it clear that while they certainly respect and accept the standards of um, the IAASB and the AICPA, the PCOB's perspective is that because they are regulating public companies in the United States, they have somewhat different uh, needs uh, and their auditors need to comply in providing assurance to a, a little bit, uh, say, different, different extent. And so oftentimes, you know, you're going to see auditing standards from the three main standard setters. And of course, an audit is an audit is an audit. And so they all have the same goal, right, is to provide assurance that it's helpful to users and is independent of management. But the, the tricky thing for users is that sometimes the standards diverge in seemingly innocuous ways, seemingly just wording ways. But sometimes those words can make quite a bit of difference in terms of the nature of assurance that's provided. So let me start by just defining. And as a, as a listener, you're going to hear the, the similarities in intent between these two definitions. What both KCAMs and CCAMs are intended to do is to help users understand the nature of what the auditor did in providing assurance. They are really intended to help users understand kind of what kept the auditors up at night. What was the hardest part of the audit? That's the intent. So the KCAM definition says that key audit matters are matters that in the auditor's professional judgment were of the most significance to the audit of the financials in the current period. And key audit matters are selected from matters that the auditors communicated uh, with those charged with governance, primarily the audit committee. A critical audit matter, the PCAOB standard, is any matter arising from the audit of the financials that was communicated or required to be communicated to the audit committee. 
Notice the slight distinction. The KCAM says communicated with, whereas the PCAOB standard says that we're communicated or required to be communicated to the audit committee. And that relates to accounts or disclosures that are material and involved especially challenging subjective or complex audit judgment. So the PCAOB standard articulates the nature of the types of discussions But they both have the same goal, and that is to really help users understand the context in which the assurance that they're providing happened and why it is that the opinion that they came out with is the way it is. Professors, your study compares key audit matter and critical audit matter disclosures for the same company in the same period. So before we discuss your findings, can can you first explain to our listeners how a single company can have both a key audit matter, and a critical audit matter disclosure in the same period. The reason we started this study was simply because I was preparing some lectures for my students, and I was looking at a very large international company's audit report, hopped on their website, read it, remembered it, and then a few weeks later did the same thing again but accidentally pulled up a different version of the annual report. And I said to myself, wait a minute, these reports are different. This one is a critical audit matter, and the other one was a key audit matter. What's going on here? How how can it be that the same company has both the disclosures of the PCOB and of the IAASB? And so that is the the nugget of question that started this project. That is, how is it, like you say, how could a company have both key audit matters and critical audit matters? And the answer is that only happens for companies that are cross-listed on both U.S. and European stock exchanges. And I'll give you two examples. There's a company named Lind PLC. Their auditor is PricewaterhouseCoopers. They have one audit firm and their U.S. office that handles that engagement is out of Connecticut and their partner is a man named Jeffrey Sorensen. The office in England, in uh, Europe, excuse me, is in Ireland and that one, the partner is Alyssa Hayden. Now, in contrast, we've got a pharmaceutical company, very large multinational, again, AstraZeneca, also audited by PwC. And in this one, the both audits are run, both partners are run by Richard Hughes, and they're both run out of the United Kingdom. Both of those instances, those kinds of companies are cross-listed and both are included in our sample. But there are only 70 unique companies in the world for which you see two different audit reports in this manner. Some have the same partner providing the key audit matters and the critical audit matters. Some have two different auditors, but they're always the same audit firm. Professors, one of the research questions you examined in your study was how do key audit matter and critical audit matter disclosures differ? So can you discuss your findings on that question? including your statement in your paper that the pure definition of a key audit matter versus a critical audit matter appears to be an important driver of the differences we see in topics that auditors cover, as well as the number of key audit matters versus critical audit matters. 
Yeah. So let me start by talking about what we observe that is the same. So when we look at the audit opinions for these cross-listed companies in our study, we do find that the key audit matters and the critical audit matters for the same company in the same period, they're addressing the same core financial topics. So for example, some of the most common core financial topics that we see are things like revenue recognition, like goodwill and intangibles, like business combinations. Those are always showing up in the same manner, covering the same topics, whether you have a key audit matter or a critical audit matter report. But where we then find the differences is that we observe when we look at the key audit matters, they tend to cover a wider array of topics. So most commonly, those additional topics that show up as key audit matters, they relate to things like the dependence of the audit on the client's IT environment, things like um, investments in subsidiaries and affiliates was another topic that showed up pretty commonly in a key audit matter report, but not a critical audit matter report. And then some other additional topics that um, we observed in the key audit matters include things like financial statement presentation and disclosure, going concern, internal controls, regulatory compliance, and kind of more general risks related to things like COVID and climate change. So what those topics have in common is that they're all of great significance to the audit, but they often don't involve a specific account or a specific disclosure that's material to the financial statements or that would involve especially challenging, subjective, or complex auditor judgment. So the pure definition of a key audit matter versus a critical audit matter, that appears to us when we look at the differences between these reports as a really important driver of the topics that we see auditors covering. So coming back to the IWSB key audit matter definition that Professor Zems touched on, it's those matters that in the auditor's professional judgment were of the most significance in the audit of the financial statements of the current period, and key audit matters are selected from matters communicated with those charged with governance. The PCOB critical audit matter definition, that's narrower. It's a matter that's communicated or required to be communicated to the audit committee that relates, one, to accounts or disclosures that are material to the financial statements, and two, involve especially challenging, subjective, or complex auditor judgments. So the difference here is that the key audit matters focus on things that are broadly most significant to the audit and may include important judgments that are not directly tied to a financial statement line item or a disclosure. Now, when we dug into some of the differences beyond the topics that show up in key audit matters versus critical audit matter disclosures, we also some observe some really interesting variation. So we use some techniques from um, linguistic analysis and computational linguistics research. So one thing that we, that we observed after using these sorts of techniques, when we remove commonly used words from both reports, we find that the overlap in the content of the key audit matters and the critical audit matters is about 80%. So in other words, that means that 20% of the content in the key audit matter report is unique compared to the critical audit matters. So then when we dig a little further, we find that key audit matters include more words per topic for each item. They convey a greater sense of uncertainty and they have a more robust discussion of the audit procedures that the engagement team used to address each matter. 
Professors, a second research question you examined in your study was whether key audit matter disclosures were more informative to investors than critical audit matter disclosures. So what were the findings on that question? Yeah, so this is really the most challenging part of the paper. And I would also say one of the biggest challenges that researchers working in this area have faced when understanding the informativeness of key audit matters or critical audit matters. So many prior studies look at whether there's an immediate stock market reaction when key audit matters are released in the annual report or critical audit matters are released. They don't find any significant reaction. And that could mean that the reports don't provide relevant information to investors. Or another explanation could be that investors are already aware of these matters when they're released to the market. There's a fairly recent study that finds evidence consistent with that latter explanation. And that study looked at risk of material misstatement disclosures, which were the predecessor of the key audit matter disclosures in the UK. So the approach that these researchers took was to examine how the book values that show up on the balance sheet and earnings are correlated with stock prices. And when there's more risk communicated through things like key audit matters or risk of material misstatement disclosures, the valuation weights on balance sheet line items or income statement items, that's going to receive lesser weight as it maps into stock prices through their correlation. So that's the approach that we took. So what we find in our study is that investors appear to place lower valuation weights on earnings when there are greater differences between the key audit matter disclosures and the critical audit matter disclosures, which suggests that that content is telling investors or reflecting information that investors have in their stock prices as they map earnings into the valuation. So we looked at a number of different dimensions, finding that earnings are less correlated with stock prices when there's a greater number of key audit matter topics than critical audit matters, when there's more unique content in the key audit matter disclosures, when there's greater differences in things like the words per key audit matter topic, the level of uncertainty that's expressed, and the audit procedures described in the key audit matter disclosure to address uh, the particular item. Professors, the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board Investor Advisory Group recently submitted a series of recommendations to the PCAOB for improving critical audit matter disclosures. These recommendations center around clarifying wording in the standard that may have the unintended consequence of curtailing the expansiveness of auditor reporting disclosures in the United States. At the same time, PCAOB economists report that the average number of critical audit matter disclosures per audit report has declined since the inception of the standard in mid-2019. What implications of your research might the PCOB consider that would improve the usefulness of critical audit matter disclosures to investors? So we thought about this fairly carefully with respect to considering the implications of our study. And um, our sense is, you know, these are these are relatively subtle wording differences between the standards. They have the standards have the same intent. They have the same audience. Uh, they have very similar wording. And yet 
we find the difference uh, that that Professor Wangren just mentioned. So in our perspective, um, the research that, that we've uh, developed, we think that it might be relevant to regulators as they think about the evolution of standards around alternative audit reports. So in fact, the topic of our research came up at the June 2023 PCAOB Investor Advisor Group meeting Samantha Ross, who's a longtime staff member at the PCAOB and the founder of a company named Assurance Mark, in that meeting, <clears throat> she was a panelist and she noted that the PCAOB originally anticipated evolution of auditor reporting and the auditor reporting standard at some point following its initial implementation. So it wouldn't be unfair for us to say, hey, the PCAOB at some point might change the critical audit matter standard to a certain extent. Of course, the IAASB could do likewise, um, but we find that the IAASB standard results in um, a larger number of these matters disclosed, a greater number of words, and expressions of more uncertainty. So it seems to us that the, you know, the PCOB, if they were going to change something, would change the wording to achieve the effect of being a bit more like the key audit matter standard. One of the things that Samantha Ross mentioned in the uh, June 2023 um, Investor Advisory Group meeting was she said, quote, it was understood at the time of initial implementation that AS 3101, the critical audit matter standard, was a first step to bring narrative insights into the audit report and to put experimentation in motion. So in our opinion, both the PCOB and the IAASB might consider wording changes to the standard that perhaps move a bit more towards convergence, given the very similar intent of both standards, you know, with the goal uh, that, you know, the standard that emerges provide auditors with the latitude that they need to provide users with the information about assurance that they require. After all, the value added from assurance is increasing that value added is what has motivated the movement to move away from a pass-fail option and toward this more narrative disclosure. So in our opinion, we believe that our research provides an avenue for consideration as to the type of, of narrative disclosure that can be anticipated based upon the existing wording in the current standards. And regulators can think about that relationship, modify the rules, and experiment to see if perhaps uh, subsequent you know, modifications to the standard have the intended, have greater intended effect of providing more useful information to users about assurance that auditors provide. That concludes our podcast episode. On behalf of the Council of Institutional Investors, I want to again thank my special guests, Carla M. Zems, the Ernst & Young Professor, and Daniel D. Wagerin, the David J. Lazar Professor in Business at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please feel free to contact me at Jeff, that's J-E-F-F, at C-I-I dot O-R-G. Until next time, I'm Jeff Mahoney. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. 
The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.